another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, a slight change of pace today on the Unicorns Podcast. We're talking all things anti-money laundering. Know your customer, compliance, regulation, and the software involved in this growing industry. One of the leading lights in the sector is First AML. It was set up in New Zealand and has since grown to involve an Australian office as well. The country manager of First AML Australia is Andrew Jackson, and he joins me now. Andrew, welcome to the program. Thanks. Great to speak with you, JK. Andrew, what is First AML? First AML is an anti-money laundering tech firm. Um, AML for short, and we service the financial and professional service businesses. So anything in the financial space plus real estate, legal and accounting. Um, So how we do that, we automate what is a really manual process, the, as you called it out, the KYC bit, the know your customer. And we do that through a blend of a cloud-based platform. We are a SaaS firm after all but also a team of local compliance analysts. And what is really cool is a global, call it pre-verified ecosystem. So whenever we do the verifications, we store that securely and we can reuse that with permission. So it speeds up the process again. And what this is doing, it's taking that traditional AML compliance process completely off our clients' hands. People don't enjoy doing it, but they have to do it. They are regulated to do it in some places. So then we're able to deliver you know, efficiency improvements, cost savings to them. And ultimately, it's a far smoother customer experience for their end users. So yes, we're a tech firm, but we really consider ourselves a customer experience firm because that's what we're able to deliver. And how long has First AML been in operation? Yeah, so we've been running for almost four years. We were founded in Auckland, New Zealand. Our head office remains there today, which is really cool. And we expanded to Australia. It's coming up for our anniversary in about two weeks time. So we already had clients in Australia in the venture capital space, and it was time last year to get boots on the ground. And we've just gone from strength to strength. And so how and why did First AML begin? Yeah, it's um. so it came out of pain, I suppose you could say. The, uh, the three co-founders, Chris Millen and Beyond, they worked in areas such as corporate and commercial banking. So a couple of them were on the front line. They were closing multi-million dollar deals and then having to handle that KYC, the AML process themselves. Now, they're not, they weren't at that point trained in that. <laughs> yeah. And they probably didn't want to do it at all. No, no one wants no. to do it. No. no. Like, oh, so we get this great deal across the line and then the customer experience suffers because they have to go and gather documentation and then they get the wrong thing or someone provides them the wrong information. So they realized this process could be done a lot slicker. They mm. launched First AML to help with that and it coincided with the expansion of regulations in New Zealand. It was after the... Panama Papers, I believe, where New Zealand were Mm -hmm. embarrassed because they were caught up in that. And they said, no, we're going to roll out what they call phase two. And that covers the professional service arms. And the guys thought there is definitely a market here. And 
we specialize in the more complex side of KYC. How complex does it get? Mate, it gets very, very, very <laughs> complex. So I'll, I'll split it into two for you. If I need to be verified, I'm about as simple a KYC case as you get. I don't have a trust. I don't have overseas funds. So I can be verified with a bit of electronic tech in a matter of minutes. Whereas on the flip side, you're looking at trustees, partnerships, um, understanding the beneficial owners, overseas funds, digging into source of wealth, source of funds. Um, we've, we've done a case where I think there were 74 separate beneficial owners that we had to verify which is it's the craziest family tree you'll ever see but is that is that done on purpose is it layered on purpose for obfuscation not all the time there is definitely a use case for layering it we have identified uh, money in overseas accounts maybe in the cayman islands and sometimes that's legitimate other times it's not but if you can't get to the bottom of this you don't understand the true nature of the clients you are wanting to work with. And that's what we do. We do the legwork for our customers. We provide it to them and say, based on your risk profile, are you happy to work with this client or not? Or do you want enhanced due diligence to be carried out? We don't recommend, we just take the legwork off them so they can go about their business growing their business and providing an awesome customer experience. So you're running the Australian operation in Sydney. How long have you been with the business? Yeah, it's close to my anniversary as well. That will happen in May. So I joined about a, a month after we landed in Australia. Uh, we were, I think I was number four. There is an accent there. It's not a Kiwi accent. No, I, uh, I've been in Australia now for almost a, what are we now, 20, almost a decade. And yeah, so I'd come from a background of SaaS. I was working in email marketing over in the UK and down here. I've done other pieces such as some specific marketing work, change management, um, very left field personal training for a year and a half. <laughs> but I, I, I got into first AML so about a year ago. I was number four. I think we're now 17 in Australia. We're about 115 in New Zealand. When I joined, we were about 60. Really? That many? Okay. Rapid, rapid growth. Um, and it's only uh, it's only continuing throughout 2022, which is really exciting. So based on your experience then, so how has First AML changed over the years? It sounds as though it's, well, not only have you grown your staff, but you've grown your customer base as well. Yeah. Oh, it's changed in so many ways. Uh, we've gone from just the three co-founders sitting in a small room where they were doing the selling, the AML analyst work whilst looking for investment, um, to now, as I say, 130 people across NZ and AU. Um, we expand into the UK in the next couple of weeks, and the client base has grown. We now have over 500 reporting entities working with us. Uh, you know, we've verified over 300,000 entities for our firms. So we're building that ecosystem at a rapid rate. Um, and the, the best thing that's allowed us to do this is being able to raise capital. So we raised 30 million at the end of last year from a number of significant players in the venture capital space. And that's allowed us to 
plan for what the future of the business will be and actually deliver on it. So Andrew, give us a flavor of who your customers are. Who do you actually work with in this space? Yeah, so I'll break it into the two regions we operate in at the moment. In New Zealand, we can service firms across finance, legal accounting, and real estate. So we have we have some of the largest firms in those spaces. Minterellis and Rudwatt is one of our legal clients down in that space. Craig's Investment. We work with elements of the Bailey's real estate industry and some of the largest consulting firms, KPMG, for example. So spread all the way across those industries and growing rapidly. In Australia, at the moment, it's only financial services that are regulated. And in that space, we play across any of the areas. So we have a number of VC firms, Blackbird, Airtree, Squarepeg. We work in trustee space, um, asset um, lending, investments, um, non-bank lending. So it's pretty much, if you're a financial or in a financial institution in Australia and you are regulated, then we can work with you and provide the service you need in New Zealand. The market is wider. So if we look at um, just just on that point, if you're if you're a VC uh, and you start working with first AML, can you talk us through the workflow? Give us a specific test case of of what you actually do and and how it works. Explain to us. Simply, if, if you can, the process of, of how you work with a client. Of course. Let's use venture capital as a good example, because often when they go and raise a new fund, they will have to verify it could be two or 300 new investors at any one time. It's less of a drip feed. So they come to us and say, we, we're raising a fund and we have 200 separate people or entities we need verified. They enter those into our system, and that's all they have to do. Our team of analysts then look at the information based on the VC's risk profile and say, okay, we are going to build out the entity structure. We are going to gather only the documentation that is required. None of this jump to page three, go to page six on forms. It's all digital, and it asks you for what we need. We then compile all the information in our platform and alert the client and say, we have verified these parties, these entities, based on your risk profile. Do you want to onboard them as a client? Do you require any further due diligence? And here are the items that we found you might want to be aware of, such as a uh, PEP, a politically exposed person. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you, so you essentially you are verifying various entities and then potentially raising red flags. Um, within this example, the VC to say, listen, out of the 200, we've got queries over 10. If, if that is the case, like who does the work then? Do you go back and dig deeper or does the, the VC or the fund uh, do that work? Yeah, that's correct. We're doing the that verification work. And all we do is we provide the information back to them. And it's, as I say, based on their risk profile. So we normally look at it as low, medium and high. Now, high might be if anything flags up as Russian, very topical right now. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, they would. That would be high, and we say, well, do you need enhanced due diligence? Do you want us to go and see what else we can uncover? Because you haven't requested everything. We do this based on the AML Act in the region the company is based. Example: Australia and their risk profile. 
but we can always go and gather more information. But it's down to the client to say, yes, I want to, or I do not want to work with this firm. We do not advise on that. We have just simply done the legwork so they can make um, an informed decision. I see. So you're providing where you can certainty um, in, a, in an industry which would otherwise be a little bit murky or un- uh, uncertain as to the validity of that entity. That's it. Yeah. And look, we want to work with customers who care about this. If we're providing that information and they say, we, you know, we don't want to work with them, we're not sure, that's fantastic. Um, it's their call. AML as, a, as an industry, as a sector, uh, I imagine... Uh, not only you, but um, the industry itself would be in high demand given recent changes and what's happening globally. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very high demand. Um, I mean, for multiple reasons. Right, there's there's been multi-billion-dollar fines in the newspaper just in Australia for some of the major banks. Um, you look at recently Crown Casino are being investigated by Austrac, who are the Australian regulator in this space. Um, there's the potential expansion of Australia's AML Act to include these professional service firms. And you've then got the Russian element. So like a raft of sanctioned Russians. Um, and how do you uh, how do you identify them? So the industry is truly going from strength to strength, you know, which is great for our business, don't get me wrong. But more importantly almost, it's it's a source of pride for everyone at first AML. We know that we're helping the everyday person not only access the financial system, but we're doing it while limiting criminal exploitation. So it's a win-win. What happens in the event that um, a firm, a financial services entity doesn't go through this process? I, <laughs> I imagine, oh, sorry, we didn't know we had to do that. That's not an excuse. So, well, I mean, what, what, are the, what are the rules around making sure that you are compliant here? Yeah, so there is no excuse. If you're regulated by the, um, let's say, the Australian, Australian AML Act, you have to do this. But the rules are still a little bit murky. There is the option to rely on a third party. If you trust that a third party has done their due diligence then that's acceptable for you. You can say, yeah, we'll accept, we trust how you've done it. So one of the big pieces that we're looking, we're hoping is in the um, the newer legislation that's gonna come out is tightening up the AML Act and making it clearer so businesses know what their responsibilities are and what they aren't. Because it's all, it's all well and good if you are one of the big banks, let's say, yes, they have been fined, but they have a huge compliance team that in theory should be able to keep them on the straight and narrow. They'll be all over it, yeah. They can definitely do it better, but they have the resources to have the compliance team. Smaller firms, it's a little bit confusing for them. So that's where they have to start working with experts like risk and compliance lawyers to set up a compliance program to guide them in that space. And then technology and service providers such as ourselves, who can then take that legwork off their hands, make sure that they are as compliant as possible whilst they can then go and grow their business. So if we look at um, money laundering internationally, what's your understanding of how widespread it actually is? Yeah, look, it's a really, it's a really good question because it is a major global issue. 
Uh, let's not get let's not get away from that. Um, the problem is the general awareness is pretty low. I I use myself as an example. Before I joined First AML, I was aware of money laundering, but I couldn't tell you how prevalent it was in Australia, let alone around the globe. I couldn't tell you how criminals managed to funnel their money. I just knew it came from maybe drug trafficking. To answer this conversation, we have to look at where the money comes from. And that has to be, the level of awareness has to be raised for the public. It needs, the conversation needs to be in the public domain all the time. Um, and then we have to look at, well, how much money is being laundered? So if you think money laundering happens when there's any form of illegal activity that funds are transferred for or funds are exchanged. Um, now, that can sit in, it could be drug trafficking, human trafficking. There's a lot of environmental crime now. If you're illegally, if you're carrying out illegal um, forestry work, deforestation, then that money can't sit in suitcases in your back garden. <laughs> it's got to go somewhere. So it has to be laundered. And to give you a concrete example on this, there was a, a recent United Nations report, and they estimate that between 2 and 5% of global GDP is laundered. Stop that's it. up to $2 trillion <laughs> laundered. And that's what they know about, because criminals are always going to be ahead of the curve. They are. Yes. Yes. I always use the sporting analogy for this. You don't catch dopers until enough of them are doing it that it's become prevalent in the sport. So they're always ahead of the curve. Same with money laundering. On that basis then, so how sophisticated is it? I think you've probably answered that already. Oh, look, it's the it's very sophisticated and we're now getting into a wider world that we're only starting to scratch the surface on with the um, in the digital um, crypto space. Generally sophisticated, it's ahead of the curve of where a lot of businesses are. Um, but what they need to then do is they need to understand what their obligations are, build those risk and compliance programs, work with the experts, work with the technology providers so they are doing their bit. And it should be a source of pride for them. They shouldn't just want to do this because Austrac says you must do it. It should be you know what? We actually don't want to work with people who might be funneling money illegally. Great. You know, we want to build our business on legitimate business. And so what sort of industries then are susceptible? Is it all industries or only those essentially with a with a backbone of a lot of money? Whenever money's changing hands, there is a risk it's been accumulated through illegal means. But there are definitely industries that are more likely to be exploited. And those are the ones that allow criminals to deposit huge sums of money relatively easily, let's say. Um, real estate is a classic industry for this. Uh, in Australia, we know everyone goes bonkers over real estate. It's like the, the top yes. three ways you want to invest. <laughs> yes, that's true. True. The challenge is it's not regulated. So you can move money into Australian real estate reasonably simply if you have enough money and you are sophisticated at doing this. And then people are none the wiser. Your money has been washed. Problem is you're bumping up the price for the everyday Australian to get into a home. 
And that's the dream. Everyone wants a fair go. Yes, that's right. That's not a fair go. So why isn't it regulated yet? You know what? It's a really, really good question. And I've been kind of going back and forth on this. It's not that hard. It's been done in other countries. The sky didn't fall in in New Zealand when they did it in 2018. It's been beneficial for them. If you don't do it, you run the risk of being a global embarrassment. Um, You also run the risk of being put on what uh, we can always touch on a second, um, the Financial Action Task Force grey list. And they pretty much look at countries and say, what are your AML practices like? Uh, They're not that good. We're going to give you a warning. Oh, you didn't adhere to that warning? Guess what? We're going to put you on a list that says you've been really, really bad. Now, that's simplifying it, but other people don't, countries and investors don't want to put money in somewhere where the entire country has been called out at not looking after the seriousness of money laundering. And is Australia on that list? It's not on that list yet. So this is a really pivotal year for Australia. We have, at the end of this month, parliamentary inquiry report coming out into should what we call tranche two be implemented. That's should real estate accounting and legal firms be regulated under the AML Act. Now, if that goes ahead, yes, we have to get through the Fed election. It has to go through the two houses. But assuming it gets in place, this is fantastic news for Australia and everyday Australians. If it doesn't, that's a real concern. And there is a high likelihood that FATF will say, you've had another chance. You've actually had 15 years since we introduced the AML Act for financial services. You've not done anything and you might be put on a grey list. Now, the UAE was just put on a grey list and the There are no hard facts yet, but the rumblings out there are that this is going to seriously impact their GDP because people don't want to put money where they can't trust the nation. But what what, what is a single reason why Australia shouldn't be doing this? Why do they need an inquiry? They need an inquiry because (laughs) political systems, right? There's a lot of lobbyists in some of the associations against doing this. There is a feeling that it will unfairly burden uh, small, medium enterprises in the professional service space. Right. Okay. It's like, we don't need this. We're not subject to money laundering, too much red tape. They're busy enough as it is. Don't don't, uh, bog them down with unnecessary paperwork. That's exactly it, which is ridiculous because Mm. they should want to do this. I I don't Mm. buy into any of the arguments at all. Uh, If you don't do this, you're actually making Australia a weaker nation. Simple as that. Mm. Um, So so KYC, we've all heard that. I suppose it's a reasonably newish term. What does that actually mean? And and how does does that work in reality? Yeah, so it it means know your customer. Um, In New Zealand, it would be CDD, customer due diligence. So it's, you want to work with customer X. Do you know enough about them, where they get their money from? It's as simple as that. It's like, are they a legitimate person or business that you are happy to have on your books as a client? Now, if you're talking an individual like myself, it's just verifying some ID documents, simple as that. Whereas if you're talking about maybe onboarding first AML as a business, that gets more confusing. 
So it's just gathering all the relevant documents saying, right, do first AML or does Andrew Jackson have any areas that we are concerned about? No? Okay, we will work with them as a client. If it's a yes, then maybe you don't work with them as a client because there is a risk you could be embroiled in whatever illegal activity they are taking part in. When when clients or customers contact you, contact the firm, First AML, do they know what they, what they need? Or is it a, a, a bizarre conversation saying, hey, we, we think we need this. How does it work? What do we, what do, we do here? <laughs> it's, yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from with that one. Look, most of the time, they know that they have a duty to stand by the Australian AML Act. Okay, but maybe they don't know to what extent more often, though, we find that they just want it done better. They can't scale their business if they have to add a new compliance person every time they onboard another 15 or 20 businesses. They don't want to have this work fall back onto their customer success team because we want them to scale at the rate they want their business to scale. We will take that work off their hands. So normally it's just highlighting why we can and how we can do that for them. It's not, well, this is why you need to do it. So you mentioned briefly, Andrew, the UK. So it was set up in New Zealand, you're now in Australia, and you're heading to, to Europe. So what's it? What's involved? Tell us what you can at the moment about heading to England or heading to the UK. Yeah, it's, it's a very exciting time. So beyond one of our three co-founders, he will be heading over there to set up the UK enterprise in London. Uh, he's in charge of all revenue for the business. So sales, you know, first boots on the ground. And we have a great opportunity in the UK. They have a similar um, comfort level with outsourcing their KYC to a firm who's as well established as we are, yes. which is great. Yep. They have the wider regulations, so legal accounting and real estate as long as as well as financial services. So that means the market is ripe for us to go in and service. And it's a gateway to Europe. So some European countries have what we call tranche two, others don't. But there are some financial hubs over there, London, Frankfurt being two of them. And we think this is a fantastic opportunity for us to go over and grow the business at a rapid rate while expanding the problem we are solving to a uh, truly global level. And provided the UK expansion boots on the ground goes well, are there any other geographical locations that you've got your eyes on in the, in the short to medium term? Yeah, so another really good one would be Singapore. There's some Commonwealth laws there. Time difference isn't too hard from Australia. Um, it's a nice, like, tightly knit and like uh, small location. So we think we can go in there and do quite well. But at the moment, the UK is the major focus. Everyone would say, why don't you go to the US? It's because they don't have tranche two. Also, their financial regulations are very confusing and murky. Um, so we are now expanding into say UK touching on Europe that's the logical next step and then I would anticipate if we do Singapore it'll be before the end of this year but the focus is UK and on that basis so if you if you get your crystal ball out and start to look ahead Andrew for both um, the sector 
as a whole, but uh, more specifically first AML, where do you see that in the next couple of years? The sector I see this as being, uh, look, money laundering is not going away, sadly. I mean, it's we, we, we need to be able to do the work so we can grow the business, but this is a growing space. These criminals are going to get more sophisticated, and that means we need to get more sophisticated as a technology provider. So we are putting a lot of effort and resource into enhancing our technologies. So if there is a simpler, more individual case, we can just do the KYC and allow the onboarding of that client to be done. Call it straight through processing. That's the industry term. But we just want to grow the business, bring on a number of new clients. So then the sooner we do that, we build our ecosystem. We end up servicing more clients so we can provide this service to them quicker. We can verify their entities faster. This provides the businesses with a far superior experience that they can then pass on to their clients. And we, as I said, we get to help stop the global epidemic of money laundering. Andrew Jackson, Country Manager of First AML Australia. Great to have you on the show. All the very best in the years ahead. Thanks for having me, JK.